0: She you confess something, Sally says, always start with a story, I always start with a confession. That's just what I do. I I feel um, when I normally speak to folks, I'm not only in a pulpit, sort of protected, I'm also wearing great heavy robes so that if anybody was to throw anything at me, I could hide behind the wood, and then if it hit me, it would be hitting something that the church owns and not me. Um, so if you must throw things, throw them at Dave. But um, I have been in churches for a long time, not a long time, not that old, but in my life a long time. I've been asked every question that you can imagine and some um, harder to answer than others. And I was thinking the other day that the question I get that causes me the most Internal stress—the one that I have the most trouble answering—is, can you dunk? <laughs> and you would think that this would have a simple answer, you know, yes or no. Um, but for me, it's a very complex question because it depends on factors. You know, how's the weather outside? Is it—is it warm? Is it cold? How's the floor? Are my legs warm? Am I tired? There was a time in my life when none of these things mattered, of course, when this wasn't there, and these were much more pronounced, and dunking was no problem. Now, when somebody asks me, can you dunk, it's a a huge existential conundrum for me, because to say no would be to give up something that was true about me that I desperately still want to be true about me. And so what I end up doing is giving a long spiel about, well, It depends, see, if the floor was, you know, better than it is here, if the, if it was between 50% humidity and 54% humidity, then everything would be fine. And you can see how I get stressed immediately. I live my life in just the exhaustion that Tolian was talking about last night, the, the fear that someone will ask me if I can dunk. Because stress and exhaustion come from this sort of expectation, this this difference that I feel, I think that we all feel, between who we wish we were, or even who we used to be, and who we are. The gulf, the yawning chasm between the us that we wish we were and the us that we actually are. I wanted to find a way to start this talk by telling you all that you're just like Michael Jordan. I I worked at it and worked at it, and the truth is that you're not like Michael Jordan, but you are like Michael Jordan's sons. Michael Jordan has two sons, um, and they, of course, have lived their entire lives in the black shadow of Michael Jordan, the longest shadow, the longest athletic shadow, certainly, of anybody. They both try to play basketball, and they were pretty good. Much better than you or I. But, of course, they lived their lives being compared to their father. And when they sort of flamed out from that pursuit, they went a different way, and they founded a website called airjordan.com. H-E-I-R, jordan.com. And it was intended to sort of, you know, make a name for themselves. And if you look up airjordan.com now, the site is for sale. For a long time, it was just full of links that didn't lead anywhere, but now it's actually not even there anymore. I just looked it up yesterday, hoping that it was still a lame site with no links on it so that you could look at it, but it's not even there. So airjordan.com, H-E-I-R, the constant comparison of who these kids wish they were their heir, and who they actually came to be, destroyed them. We are all Michael Jordan's sons. Michael Jordan is the theoretical me, the me I wish I was. And the question that we all ask ourselves is, okay, I'm me, I wish I was this superior me, what do I do now? And um, the psalmist in Psalm 121 says, I lift my eyes up, where does my help come from? And I feel like the um, world of athletes is only interesting, I mean, outside of the actual sport, the, the world of athletes is interesting because these men and women deal with this question in an incredibly public way. This question that we all deal with privately, the fear of failure, the ability or not to succeed, the question of, can you come through when it means the most? We deal with this on the inside. But athletes deal with it on the evening news. They get asked, how do you feel five minutes after they've completely blown it? We at least get to wait until our six-month performance review, right? We can, we can process it for a moment. In the Olympics, they ask you right after you get out of the pool, how does it feel to have come so close and lost to Michael Phelps again? Last year in the um, playoffs, the Yankees, as you probably well know, were, were imploding. And Alex Rodriguez was having his annual, except for that one year, several years ago, implosion. And somebody took a wonderful photograph of Alex Rodriguez at the plate, and you can see in the stands behind him somebody holding up a sign. And the sign says, A-Rod, redeem thyself. I always thought that, gosh, if I was him, I would have first thrown my bat into the stands to try to hit that person. And then I would have said, Don't you think I'm trying? Don't you think I would give anything to hit this next ball hard? To get it out of the infield for once? Don't you think I would trade almost everything I've ever earned in this game to succeed on this grand stage? Redeem thyself. And this is the refrain that we preach to ourselves Daily, hourly, by the minute. Nick, redeem thyself. And this is, of course, what leads to that stress, what leads to that exhaustion, the idea that if we're going to succeed, if we're going to make it over that hill, the juice to do it has got to come from within. No one's going to help us. We've got to do it. I want to tell you a quick story about an athlete named Todd Marinovich. Some of you will have probably heard of him. He was a quarterback at USC and then for the Raiders in the NFL. But the interesting part of his story happened before he ever began to play football. His father was also a football player at both USC and for the Raiders. And his father was aware of this question that we ask ourselves, this chasm between the us that we are and the us that we wish we were. And he always wondered during his professional football career, how good could I be if I'd started earlier? If I dedicated my entire life to this practice, how good could I be? Could I be the ultimate me that I'm not now? And so when he had his son, He thought he'd give it a shot. So during Todd's, the son's, first month of life, his father instituted a stretching regimen, flexing his infant son's hamstrings and quadriceps. And from the time Todd could hold anything, he was holding a football. As soon as he could stand, he was standing in cleats. Everything, his whole life, from his from what he ate no sugar no processed foods at all ever to his time no vacations no time away his mom when he was in high school had to literally kidnap him from his father to give him a week away every aspect of his life was designed to make him the best quarterback he could possibly be and it worked he was great He was the high school quarterback of all high school quarterbacks. He was given every tool. If anybody could have made it work, it was Todd Marinovich. And when I read his story, I immediately think of how St. Paul describes himself in Philippians 3. He says, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Todd Marinovich could have said this. If anybody thinks they've worked hard at playing football... I've worked harder, circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. As for being prepared to be a successful athlete, faultless. I've done everything. I'm ready. If anybody could have succeeded, it was Todd Marinovich. But of course, it was a disaster. By the time Todd was a sophomore at USC, he was a drug addict and terribly depressed. He was arrested for cocaine possession before the NFL t- 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 before the NFL draft was drafted anyway, got into fights with his head coach, both in college and in the pros, and by his second year, was out of football forever. And he was quoted years later, reflecting on those years as saying, at that time, all I wanted to be was anybody but Todd Marinovich. Anybody else. I have spent my life trying to be the ultimate me, and now I couldn't want to get further away any faster." Another story of a professional athlete, um, this time a pitcher for the San Francisco Giants named Barry Zito, which I think is one of the coolest names ever, Zito. Um, He was a great phenom for the Oakland A's in his early years and then signed one of the richest free agent contracts to date at the time in 2007 for $126 million. Of course, now Alex Rodriguez finds that under his couch. But at the time, that that was like infinity dollars. Right, the San Francisco Giants gave Barry Zito infinity dollars to be a pitcher, but not to be a pitcher, right? To be the best pitcher, to be a great, to be an unhittable pitcher, to be the ultimate Barry Zito. And of course, the stress of needing to be the ultimate Barry Zito destroyed Barry Zito to the extent that he, he was so bad this highest paid player on the team, that when in 2010 the San Francisco Giants qualified for the playoffs, he was left off the roster completely. They paid him not to come. Don't even come and sit on the bench, we don't want to see you. Stay away from the park. We'll pay you $126 million but please, stay away. And in a recent interview with um, Sports Illustrated, Zito talked about what happened after this. He he um, he said that when he was a kid, his mom founded a church, right? And she called it Teachings of the Inner Christ, locating the source within. And he said that what ended up having to happen, what what finally this year, actually, this last year, when San Francisco actually won the World Series with Barry Zito on the roster and playing a role in their victory, what prompted him to have this ability to finally pitch again was to realize that teachings of the inner Christ wasn't working. He needed an outer Christ. He said, I spent so many years trying to find the strength within that it destroyed me. I needed to find a strength from without. And So athletes have found on the most public of stages what we all suspect to be true in our heart of hearts. That we always crash and burn. When we try to leap over that chasm between the us that we are and the us that we wish we were, we end up in the pit every single time. Because we can't run fast enough to get a fast enough jump, right? We can't jump high enough or go far enough. We always fall in. Both Todd Marinovich and Barry Zito realized that no matter how much they prepared themselves, no matter how hard they worked, they didn't have it in them to carry that burden. They were exhausted. And as St. Paul continues in Philippians 3, after having said, look, if anybody has a case that they're prepared, if anybody has a case that they could do it, my case is better he then says, But whatever gain, what, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And this is what athletes perhaps even have an advantage over us in. They become acquainted with loss. They know failure. They know crashing and burning intimately. It, it is the athletes who are able to accept this fact of life this fact of failure this fact of crashing and burning that are able to then take the next step St Paul says I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things Berizito lost all things the respect of his peers Not his money. (laughs) Guaranteed contracts. (laughs) Todd Marinovich lost all his money. Todd Marinovich lost all things. St. Paul says, I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And then he says the important words. right, Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Not having the strength within me to do what I need to do, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Zito said that in 2011, this is a quote, I got broken down physically as well as mentally. I was exhausted. In August of that year, he says, I committed my life to God I realized I'd been, relying for, I'd been relying on my own strength for so long. And man, I'd been wearing it. So this was about finding a strength, he says, outside of myself. The way I was raised, remember the teachings of the inner Christ, that's a concept to which I would never have given any credence. And we're all raised the same way, whether we're in the church. You know what? It doesn't matter how we're raised. We're all wired the same way. Teachings of the inner Nick. If I'm going to succeed, I need to buckle down. I need to work hard. I need to make it happen. We don't give this idea of the outer Christ any credence until we crash and burn. In Todd Marinovich's case, when he eventually went to prison, it was his father who was there for him. The same father who had applied such a law to his life, such a regimen of work, literal righteousness by works. It was this same man who was there for him, visiting him in prison letting him move back into the house afterwards, rehabilitating with him the same Father who was the judge, provided the salvation. The same is true of our God. He is our judge, but he has given us our Savior. The psalmist says, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? And then he says, my help comes from the Lord, from outside of me, the maker of heaven and earth. Athletes are just like us. They want to win, and they want the credit. So do we. We want to be seen as victorious, and we want the credit for it. We want to be seen as good. We want to be seen as talented. We want to be seen as successful. We'd like people to recognize that in us and to applaud it. But, again, like athletes, more often than not, we fall short. We fail. We crash and burn. We'd like to not do it in so public a form, and sometimes we can avoid that, but the fate is the same. And the only thing that seems to have actually really worked in the entire history of the world is giving up, breaking down, failing. It's only when we've failed, whether it's failing to live up to a huge free agent signing bonus or failing to be the father we'd always hoped we'd be or the lover we think we ought to be or the pastor we know we're supposed to be it's only when we've failed and when we've failed spectacularly that we lift our eyes to the mountain and admit that we need help from another from the Lord the maker of heaven and earth and it's when we've had this realization about ourselves, about the fact that on our own, we're not going to bridge that gap between the us that we are and the us that we wish we were, that we can truly agree with St. Paul that whatever gains we had, we now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, he says, consider everything loss, everything, for the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, my Savior, who picks me up when I'm lying broken at the bottom of the mountain and carries me on his back to the top. What we learn from athletes about dealing with stress is that stress is a truism of every moment of our lives. Athletes do it on TV. We do it in front of the bathroom mirror. The champion we wish we were compared to the failure we know we are. We give up. We look up to the mountain. Plead for the righteousness of another and know that it is given. And so... Even though I know my righteousness comes only through my faith in Christ, I want you to know one thing. This is how I'll end. I went to the park on Wednesday afternoon, and I dunked four times. Thank you very much.